This is Jess, and you're listening to The Pumping Podcast. This week, we're going to have a conversation about boys. No, not like middle school yucky boys, but our babies, and a little bit our husbands and friends who are boys. I sit down with Mama Janet Allison, founder of the company Boys Alive, as well as the co-host of a podcast called On Boys, a parenting podcast. She says, boys are not the problem. It's social and cultural. Men and boys approach the world in an entirely different way than most females. Isn't that right? (laughs) She talks to us about how we can encourage our boys, how we can lift them up, and how we can help them grow in to be the best men that they possibly can be. This perspective was so interesting to me, and I really enjoyed our conversation. So without further ado, here's Janet. Mamas, I am so excited to sit down with mama of two girls, Janet Allison. Janet, welcome, and thank you so much for being here. I am so happy to be here, Jessica, and with all the moms out there listening. So you started a company that's all about boys, even though you have two girls. I know, crazy, right? (laughs) Mm -hmm. And it's called Boys Alive. Before we dive into your motherhood journey, which I can't wait to hear about, I got to hear more about this. How the heck did this come about? I, I still kind of wonder that at times, but I was <laughs> I was uh, raising girls and I was a teacher, a Waldorf teacher in Southern Oregon. And my first class was a class of 10 boys and two girls, first grade. And I had my university degree in elementary education. No one ever talked about that boys might be a little bit different in the classroom than girls. Uh-huh. So here I am with these very active, very alive 10 boys. And the two girls were kind of tomboyish girls also. So <laughs> the energy, the vitality, the creativity that those kids had, had me completely exhausted, overwhelmed, (laughs) puzzled, like what is happening here? And fortunately, our school at that time was on a farm. So I just intuitively, I think as a matter of just self-preservation, we just got outside in the morning and those boys ran. They just get the energy out, right? Get the energy out. And, and yeah. And so, and then they'd come back in and they would still do crazy things like, you know, be standing up one minute and fall flat over just because <laughs> they could, you know. So I got so curious and started reading books. And at that time, so that was the mid nineties. And at that time it was all about girls. Everything was about girls, equality in sports and, you know, how, how are we raising girls. So boys were kind of pretty low down on the on the radar at that time. So I had to really hunt for what's going on and got connected with some experts, did my just read a ton and meanwhile I was also doing some communication skills training. And also I was having moms come to me saying I was raised with sisters. I do not get my son. Like, what is, who is this person that will never stop moving? And, and so it all kind of dovetailed together. I was ready to stop teaching after some years. And I, um, 
I just felt called to help these moms with boys. It was a fascinating study for me. And um, so I, I just dove in feet first boys alive came into being and it's been 15, 10, 15 years now that I've been helping parents. And I also work in schools because teachers need to understand boys with most teachers are female. And we, of course, we look at kids through our female lens and we see boys as, you know, why can't he sit still? Why is he so noisy? Why won't he look at me when I'm talking to him? All these things. And yet when we know, oh, this is how a male, a typical male brain works, male pattern of communication, all those things, then we can adjust and go, oh, he's, my husband isn't looking at me when I'm having this emotional moment. I don't have to take it personally. It's because he can't actually look at me and listen to me at the same time. So we'll we'll dive deeper into that. But um, that's a brief yeah. touch into why boys. So yeah. Boys Alive essentially is a program that you work and would you say that you coach or consult one-on-one with families and then in schools? Mm-hmm. So I'm a family coach and I work one-on-one with families, with parents, because parents are the ones that change the dynamic in the household. Mm-hmm. And so I do coaching and I also uh, give talks and of course now online webinars and groups and have a really active Facebook group and then consulting in schools, doing professional development for, That's for teachers. Yeah, it's good. It's something, so something so yeah, something so specific and so needed that I don't think is really discussed or you know brought up as a concern. Mm-hmm. And if we're made aware of just small little changes that we can make in either our parenting styles or our maybe relationship, you know, connection, mm-hmm. it could make a huge difference. Yeah. And everything I talk about is, you know, it's, it's parent to child, but it's also just person to person. It's Mm -hmm. really just understanding another person that has a different roadmap than you do. And just being able to, you know, check in on that map. I love that. And if you want to hear a little bit more, um, Janet is also the co-host of a podcast called On Boys, and it's a parenting podcast that I'm going to have to jump on. I can't wait to listen to some of those episodes, and you can learn a little bit more about that and what she does. So you're joining us, you said, from Oregon, right? Portland, Oregon. Portland, Oregon. Awesome. I love talking to people from other sides of, you know. I know. Other areas. All over this country, all over the world, and very peaceful loving place. Here we are in Portland. I love it there. Very politicized lately, but we're good. We're good. I actually had, there was um, another mom a while, I forget which episode, but a while back that I spoke to and she's in Portland as well. And I had to mention the obvious voodoo donuts. Oh, yes. I mean, you can't talk about Portland and not talk about voodoo donuts. The voodoo best donuts, donuts in ever. the pink box. Absolutely. Yes. <laughs> the maple bacon. Oh my gosh. It is so good. <laughs> Oh, so yummy. Yeah. yeah. Um, so I want to learn more about this whole boys live and boys conversation, but first I want to talk a little bit about you. What was life like? I know it was a little bit, a little bit back, but we can go back there. What was life like before you even became a mom? What were you doing? Were you teaching? What was life like? Oh, 
Oh, we are going back. My yeah. girls are 31 and 35. So we're going back a few years, but um, I actually started my uh, teaching um, university degree when I was pregnant with my first. So I was a non-traditional student and it took me seven years to finish school, but I had two babies along the way. So, um, and I loved being pregnant. It was, it had taken us a long time to get pregnant. So it was kind of one of those, like, I don't know if I'm going to be able to get pregnant. So it was an extra, extra gift. And I read, you know, I, I loved reading stories about women's pregnancies and deliveries mm. and just it was so delicious and I just remember you know walking and talking to my baby and um, so just, you liked being pregnant I loved it mm. yeah and just being so excited and back then it was not so common to know the gender of your child so right. I did not know what I was having and um, with that baby I my water broke. I went to the hospital. Do you want to hear all this? Like, yeah, dive I'll, in. I'll make it short and sweet, but no, went to the hospital it. and in hindsight went way too soon. And they just slapped some Pitocin on and made me stay in bed. And I just had this such deep feeling of like, this is not right. Like I shouldn't be just sitting in a bed. And my husband was just watching the monitor the contractions, you know, he's like, Oh, here comes another one before I could even feel it. And it just was just felt yuck. I didn't like it. So um, my doctor at that time came in to check and he, he said, you know, well, if you haven't had this baby by midnight, you're going to have a C-section. So it was like, you know, not hopeful, not helpful at all. Long story short, had a C-section and I, everything was fine. Katie was amazing and lovely and I loved being, being a mom. And, um, when I went back, well, then we moved, we moved across the country and, um, I got pregnant with my second daughter and I knew like, I knew I should not have had that C-section and yeah. I was not, I was so determined. I was not going back to the hospital. So I started looking into midwives and have a, and to have a home birth of course my mom thought i was crazy insane <laughs> what are you doing this is so dangerous and all the things and of course it was a vbac so even even now like when i when i tell doctors that i had a vbac back in well they were born in 88 and 85 they're horrified yeah <laughs> but i just knew so much that i was not going to the hospital so I had a 36 hour labor at home and my mom came, came to be there and she didn't want to be at the birth. She just was like, was no, I don't want to be there. And I said, well, we can, you know, we can have you go to a friend's house. That's fine. But when I started into labor, then she was like, no, I'm not leaving. <laughs> and I mean, the, it was so amazing to have her there because she had never witnessed birth. She had had four kids in the 50s and had twilight sleep. So she had never seen a baby being born or just being around a newborn in that way. So it was really special yeah. to have her there and um, a couple of friends and my husband and the midwife. And, and uh, it was long, but it was the moment when I felt my power as a woman really kick in. Like I did oh, that. I love that. 
I did that. It was the hardest thing I'd ever done up to that time in my life. And I did it. And afterwards I tore quite a bit and the midwives were talking. They're like, you know, examining my crotch going, (laughs) well, I really think we need to take her in to get stitched because this is really deep. And I just remember sitting there on the bed, eating watermelon, my legs spread apart going, (laughs) I start sewing ladies because I am not going to the hospital. I just had a home birth. You're not taking me to the hospital. So, oh my gosh, that picture is so amazing. (laughs) I love that. Start sewing, ladies. Oh, start sewing. And I mean, and it was so (laughs) lovely. My daughter, my two, my she was two and a half at the time, and she slept all through the night and she woke up just as I was spending four hours pushing. But, um, isn't it amazing you can remember these things 31 years later? It's like it was yesterday. Yeah. And, um, so she was there and, you know, welcomed the baby before we even knew what, if it was a boy or a girl. And, and um, those two are sisters tight. Mm-hmm. Like they live together as adults. They're just, they're closer than any sisters I've ever witnessed. And just to round out the story. So my youngest, who was a home birth, home birther, is um, a labor and delivery nurse. And she's currently studying oh. to be a midwife. Oh, that's amazing. Circle around and, and her, she had me read her essay that she sent to apply to midwifery school. And it started out with the story of her home birth. Oh, I just got the chills. I love that. Yeah. That's so special. Oh my goodness. And have either of them had any children? No, my oldest just got married this summer mm. and uh, definitely on the horizon in the yeah. next year or so. So I think they're getting a puppy first, which yeah. is like, <laughs> yeah, start with a puppy. But exactly. Yeah. Oh my gosh. That's so beautiful. What were some of the biggest challenges that you came across in raising daughters? Because like we talked about, you didn't have any boys, you only had daughters. So were there any specific challenges that you remember? Well, I think the the parenting challenge, and I was fortunate to live in a smaller town, and we had a lot of moms that didn't work or worked part-time, and we would trade kids around, and we would have play dates, and, and we even started a dinner co-op and oh, traded dinners, which was amazing and so helpful. And I mean, I think the challenge, especially with young kids, was the isolation and feeling like you were, you know, making it up as you went along. And, um, I, I had a close relationship with my mom who lived in Texas, but she would say, you guys, you know, more than we did, you know, more about parenting than we did. And, and so that gave me a little bit of confidence, but still that feeling of like, I don't know what I'm doing at that time. You know, there wasn't this influx of information. The parenting books to choose from were very few and far between, and and there was not the internet. I mean, believe it or not, I raised kids before the internet. It it does happen. I think having like having all that information is in a way a good thing. Like reading all the birth stories, that was great. That gave me just a picture of what to expect. Not that my story was anything like anybody else's, but right. but now we have all this information and 
I stacks and stacks of parenting books and you know, do I do this? Do I do that? Is it love and logic? Is it conscious parenting, attachment parenting? And, and it's, it, it's good to have that information, but first and foremost, it's about trusting yourself and trusting your Absolutely. own gut. And you know your child better than anybody and fostering that connection, even if they're just a little baby in arms, you know, mm -hmm. putting away the phone when you're nursing, have the podcast on, but, you know, having that eye, that, that visual connection and that skin to skin and all the, all the delicious ways that we can be connected because that's the thread through every age, through every stage is how can I stay connected at a heart and soul level with my child. Yeah. I, my listeners are probably going to be like, okay, I get it. I get it. Because I feel like every episode this comes up. And I even said recently that I think I should like rename the podcast at some point to be like, you know, what's best or, you know, what's right or something, because that's literally the through line with everybody that I interview. And Yes, we are fortunate at this day and age to have all of these resources, but then sometimes it almost goes too far, you know, and then it's like, oh, well, am I doing the right thing? Oh, well, now I'm getting judged for X, Y, Z. And so, yeah, at the end of the day, like you said, it's just, you can never get those days back. And so follow your heart, trust your instincts, you know, what's right. And, and then you'll you'll find the path that's best for you. And I think it's great that we're aware of all of these different options so that we don't feel like there's only one way. Yeah. But I think as long as you don't marry that and you know that, you know, whatever, whatever is best. Well, and, and I, I, and I can, I mean, I can imagine that it might sound frustrating because you'd be like, just tell me what to do when he does X. And I, and as a family coach, I'm working with that all the time. And it's, it's teasing that out and looking at, first of all, what is your trigger? What's your reaction to that? Right. And that is the self-examination that we are called to do as parents. And how do I want to show up as a human being on this planet? And knowing that, oh, there's some defaults how I was raised, how I was parented, of course, it's in your, you know, it's in you and you have to, to know it and either welcome it or say, you know, no, thanks. I'm not going to do it that way. I choose differently. But then I also think that there is an overlay and this is, this is me as Boys Alive saying, um, and what I tell teachers all the time is this is not like a new curriculum, but this is bedrock. This is understanding another human being who is not like you. And when you understand like the fundamentals of boys and what they need, then you can pick and choose the strategies, but then you can know I am connecting with him. So I'll give you an example. For instance, um, a lot of parents will say, you know, he doesn't listen or he gets so angry and, you know, throws Legos and hits me and says, I hate you and all the things and, and understanding that that is pretty normal, typical boy, recognizing that one of the things that we do as women 
and you women, you can check this out with the men in your life, <laughs> is we talk a lot. Mm-hmm. We ask questions, we give directions, we process emotions out loud, <laughs> talk and talk, and we love it. We get oxytocin. We, it's delicious for us to have those conversations. Mm-hmm. And I have one, one friend who they've been married for probably 35 years now. And the husband says, you know, I just listened to her. I don't have to say anything because I know that if I listen long enough, she's going to come up with the answer herself. Like I don't have to input anything, but he's no, he knows by now that he just listens and, you know, mm -hmm, mm -hmm, maybe a little input here and there, but her processing style is out loud. And so when we recognize and, and recognizing that for boys, many boys and men, this is broad generalization, but typically cross-culturally, boys and men's brains do not process language as rapid fire as women do. So you have this boy brain who is maybe he's four and he's totally focused on building his block tower, his Legos. And, you know, we think it's stereotypical that males are single focused, but they really are. Most of them are like, I'm looking at this and you're over there talking and telling him it's time to come and eat dinner, whatever. And he's ignoring you, but he's not even hearing you to begin with. There's no thought (laughs) process. Like I'm not going to listen to her right now. It's like, no, there's no voice there. Meanwhile, so, in our brains, we have like five things that we're thinking about and working on and juggling and it's yeah. too, right? Yeah. And meanwhile, you're getting angrier and more frustrated because he's not listening to you. And yeah. so you're talking louder and you're elevated <laughs> and your adrenaline cortisol is going up. And yet he's just in his little Lego land having the best time but you're getting angry and taking it personally. He's disrespectful, all the things that we tell ourselves. So when you understand that, oh, he actually isn't even hearing me. I'm in the kitchen. He's in the living room. Oh, I have to go to him and physically touch him on the shoulder, on the back, bump elbows, whatever it is, enter his world for just a moment, like comment on something he's doing. And that kind of snaps him out of that, that focus and tell him tangibly, like do put in three more Legos and then it's time to come and eat dinner. So for boys, fewer words for boys and men, check in with your men in your life, fewer words and everything boys do is physical. If you just think physical, 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 if you want him to think, if you want him to find words, if you want him to talk to you, process emotions, learn, everything is when his body is in motion, his brain is in motion, which is way counterintuitive to how we teach our boys. And that's what I learned in that classroom on that farm is they have to move their bodies to learn. I love how you said, enter his world. I think that's such a powerful image and idea and concept because, yeah, us as women, whether it's our children or our partners or our parents, whatever, 
we expect them to be on the same wavelength and in our world right when we want them to be and right when we need them to be. But if we think of it from the think of it from the perspective of entering into their world, maybe even gently interrupting their world to say, this is what I need, this is what's going on, I think you'd get a much better response. I love that idea. Yeah. And it's circum it cuts short that taking it personally. Mm-hmm. Which I think we do a lot as women. Oh, oh, he's not listening to 100%. me. 100%. Oh, he's not. Oh, he doesn't remember what we talked about last Friday right before we fell asleep. Well, guess what? He doesn't. So don't hold it against him. Just say, hey, honey, remember when we were talking about XYZ and we, you know, so give him a heads up. Also, and this is for your boys and your men, give them a little prep time. So their brains typically process a little bit slower than ours. And so if you're going to have a conversation later, especially if it's something emotional, hey, can we check in about, you know, that conversation after dinner tonight or give him some time and, and for our boys to, you know, we ask questions and we don't necessarily get the answer we want. So we ask another question, (laughs) but if we just ask a question and we're willing to wait and be quiet, not fill it with more words, because that's our tendency, many of us, if we're willing to just be together in, in silence, it's amazing what can happen. It's amazing. So being with your boy, even when he's playing, just you don't have to engage with words all the time. Engage with your energy, be present with him, but it doesn't have to be words to communicate. He feels your heart. He feels your presence. Mamas, I just wanted to take a quick moment to recognize one of my sponsors, Hypnobabies. Hypnobabies is birth hypnosis, how to enjoy your baby's birth in comfort, joy, and love. If you're a soon-to-be mama or know a soon-to-be mama, check out the link in the show notes for Hypnobabies. There's a home study course, there's MP3 tracks, and there's also a few non-birthing tracks as well. How to stop smoking, how to help your toddler sleep, and many, many more. Check out Hypnobabies in the show notes for a 20% off discount, and make sure you use the code PUMPINGPODCAST for a 20% off discount. For more info about Hypnobabies, you can go back and listen to episode 7, where I interviewed the founder and CEO, Carrie Tishoff. She was gracious enough to give my listeners a private code for 20% off. So make sure you use that code pumping podcast. Go check out hypno babies in the show notes. Now back to the show. So you say boys are not the problem. It is social and cultural. And you touched on this a little bit ago, a few minutes ago, but what do you mean by that? Yeah. So with how we've set up schools, schools are very girl friendly Sit still, listen, and learn. Girls can do that all day, every day. (laughs) Boys, mm -mm. you know, we already know they can't sit still. We already know they have to move their bodies to learn. And so school is one place where boys early and often feel like they are bad. Uh, We have teachers recommending kids get tested for ADHD because he can't sit still. And it is 
high, way higher percentage of boys than girls um, that have ADHD or are tested for it. And um, I had one mom tell me that her son came home seven years old, spring of first grade, and said, Mom, all the girls are perfect and I'm the bad one. Seven years old. So here are boys going to preschool and kindergarten and elementary school and looking around and all the girls are able to follow directions, do those transitions, hold the pencils. All the teachers are women who are a little bit thrown by the active nature of boys, the shorter attention span of many boys, the impulsivity of many boys, and they don't know how to um, channel it. And I mean, imagine just going somewhere every day where you don't have, there's no men. So that's that some of that cultural social. Then there's the whole piece of what is it to be a man? What is it to be a boy? And, you know, I'd love to think that we're past the stage of telling boys they shouldn't cry, but guess what? We're still there. We're still there. And it may be, I feel like dads are at such a crossroads, dad, men who are parenting now, because they, they, I truly believe want to be that more emotionally in touch dad and not carry on these messages. And yet they were parented it and those mess in that way. And those messages are so deep. Man up, you throw like a girl, don't cry. And it's default. It just comes out. And we don't, you know, without thinking about it. And yet the truth, the truth for our boys is boys biologically are more fragile than girls. Boys are Uh, I don't know what the percentage is off the top of my head, but boys, more miscarriages are boys than girls, more birth birthing problems are boys than girls. And yet the messages are, you know, boys are tough, boys are strong, and it's not true. And when we can start seeing that as, you know, our boys are fragile as And our girls are fragile too. And let's be softer with them, be more gentle with them. And another really important piece, especially for your listeners, is boys must have a strong attachment in their early years. And that is like up to age three. They really need that attachment. And, you know, And I think all along, boys don't always make it easy for us. You mean attachment to a parent? Attachment to a, a, you know, a parent, a caregiver, like some, Mm -hmm. but some adult, they, they need a really strong attachment with, that's often why little boys will have trouble in childcare because they, they're missing that really strong attachment. And, you know, boys aren't. Many boys don't tend to be like all cuddly and, oh, come sit on my lap and we'll read stories for hours. They don't make it easy to connect necessarily in the way that females connect. Mm -hmm. But again, back to just being together and being quiet, playing together, doing things together. That's the way boys feel connected with you. And being, being ready to listen when they are ready to talk 
because mm-hmm. it might not be on your timeline. Often it will be at bedtime when you're like, just go to sleep. I'm exhausted. But that's when they turn on and that's when, when, they're, when they're ready to talk. And when they're ready to talk might just be like four sentences to our like novel. Right. But, you know, so it's also calibrating and realizing, wow, he's really telling me something important here. Doesn't go on for hours, you know, for 20 minutes. It's short, but really, really listening. And I have a lot of moms who with older kids, like middle school, they'll just say, oh, I just want to have deep, meaningful conversations with my son. And I, I have to tell them, you know, they, they might not be as deep as you imagine that they might be because those are the conversations you're having with your girlfriends. Right, right. But they might be just as meaningful. And they will be just as meaningful and know that when he's a man, you will be having those conversations. But a middle school boy likely isn't really that interested in having those conversations in the way that we imagine them to be. So you've mentioned a couple um, ways in which when you're parenting, boys can be different from girls. But what are some more that moms might come across? And what are some tips that you would give on how to navigate when those differences come up? Yeah. Well, I think a big difference is, and I work with a lot of parents around boys and big emotions, angry boys. I think that we are easily scared by a boy who is, you know, punching holes in the wall or throwing rampaging through his playroom or throwing toys at you Mm -hmm. and telling them, telling you they hate you and no, I'm not going to listen. And, and so it's, it's recognizing that they are big emotions. Anger is scary and it's scary to him too. So we have to, we have to understand it as the parents and a lot of it is recognizing how much physical energy, how much physical movement is he getting in a day? This Because a lot of times it's just pent up and built up. And our kids, you know, I'll talk to moms and they'll say, oh, you know, they're at the playground and we go for a walk. And yet when you add up the time of actual physical contact, physical movement, it doesn't add up to all that much. And, and our boys need like a couple hours of high energy movement in a day. Many boys do. So it's things like have a mini trampoline in your living room, have, you know, rough housing boys. And I tell moms, you don't have to rough house, but your boy needs to rough house with someone. He needs that physical contact. It's, it's, um, helps him also learn, you know, that stop means stop and all the things. It's really important that he have that physical contact, that heavy, heavy lifting, picking up rocks, carrying them across the yard, helping with the grocery bags, all the things that can help him feel his, his physical capabilities is really important. I love hearing that because especially as a not a mom yet. (laughs) I've babysat children and I, you know, the idea of roughhousing or something, it can get a little like, 
scary or you don't want them, you know, oh, don't hurt yourself and that whole concept. But when you think of it almost like a prescription, this is something that they need to help them make it through their day. It changes the whole concept of it. And of course, if they get hurt, well, they get hurt and then they'll know like that that was too far. You pushed your limits, but that's so interesting to hear. I, I love that. Yeah. And we tend to, you know, as women, like we don't think about wrestling, you know, that's just yeah. not in our, not in our daily makeup. So, so it is that place where we have to understand this other human being and what they need. Are there some specific tools or strategies that families can put into place specifically with boys as we're talking at a young age that will encourage them to thrive and communicate? Um, I'm sure that there's many things like you mentioned, the activity and that sort of thing, but in the theme of communication and developing that, are there any tools and strategies you'd recommend? I recommend always especially with your young boys, engaging them in the, the work of the home and teaching them how to clean up a spill. I have a friend who at her son at age three was stirring hot soup on the stove wow. and loved it. Loved those being responsibilities, right? Responsibility and Kate and being able to recognize what they're capable of doing. This three-year-old was stirring hot soup because mom had been there all along teaching him guiding him very confident he he'd climb up on stools and put food you know put the groceries away he loved helping and uh putting clothes in the washing machine and putting them in the dryer and all those things that are your work it's play to him right. so bring him into your world bring him close to you and um in in that time in those years he's learning through imitation he's learning by watching you so if you are very um calm about cleaning up a spill you're very calm when we're leaving the house now and that that's what he's learning but if you're scattered and homes in chaos and oh my gosh i can't find my keys that's what he's learning so how do you how do you want him to be that's how you have to be. I love that idea too, of having him help around the house, because you're right. When I think even of myself as a child, those things weren't chores, you know, I mean, kids might think they're chores because we call them chores. We assign mm -hmm. them chores, yeah. but then they're looked at in that negative light. But if we bring them into that idea of, okay, it's laundry time or, yeah. okay, it's, you know, time to put the... You know, and that's the other thing too. I'm sorry, I should have finished my thought. You know, time to put the groceries away is what I was going to say. But if we look at that, that could be such a helpful tool, like match the cans with the cans. Mm -hmm. Where's the cardboard box? You know, mm -hmm. you're teaching them all of these words and elements of things and then where they go. And then they're getting that physical activity too. That's awesome. Yeah. I love that. And boys love to be of service. Mm -hmm. And I think that we get really busy and it's like, oh, it's just quicker to do it myself. 
you go play with your Legos. I'm going to put the groceries away, but it's like, no, help me care. I need you to help me carry the bags in from the car. Can you carry this bag? It's pretty heavy. I wonder if you can carry it. Oh yeah. I can, you know, and then he gets (laughs) to show his muscles and, and he's already been at the store with you and he's already helped with the cart with scanning the cans with, you know, all of the things. And the more you can do that before age seven, the more habit you have developed in him to be helpful. Once, you know, just developmentally, if they're past the age of seven, they're kind of past the age of imitation and habit building. So, I mean, try to teach a 14 year old to uh, fold the laundry. Right, right. Not happening. Yeah. <laughs> but You've a three-year-old, you know, they're in that place of me do it, me do it. They want to, they're just, it's nutrition for them. So it's up to you then to take the time and recognize you're investing in your future because he will be 10 and he will know how to do his own laundry. I had a question that just came to my mind and I'm going to ask it for a, a friend that I have who is raising two boys. So I can't wait for her to listen to this. But one thing that we were talking about recently is she has a boy who's over one and then an infant who's about six months or so. And the boy who's over one is just sort of navigating his younger brother. And she's noticing when he gets into certain moods, the way he treats his younger brother and pushing the boundaries of you know, don't step on his head and don't, you know, roughhouse him. We need to roughhouse maybe in other ways. So do you have any tips for that sort of relationship and trying to teach them that element of roughhousing, but kind of the boundaries with how that goes? Yeah. So two things there, and this goes for any age. I'm writing it down because I don't want to forget both of them. Um, (laughs) Rather than telling him, you know, don't step on the baby's head, don't da da da, tell him what you do want, tell him how, show him, guide him how he can be with the baby. And I'm sure she's doing that. But, but having that be the bigger portion of the management of baby safety. And it is, you know, it's, it is constant because he's learning. And, and yeah, you're going to have to say it 40 million times, but, that goes for pretty much everything else in parenting too. Yeah. <laughs> so, but, and if in all things, if you can, when you catch yourself saying, don't, don't do, don't spill the milk, don't touch, you know, don't hit the baby. Any our the way our brain works is we have to picture hitting the baby before we can picture not hitting the baby. So you want to tell him what you want instead which is stroke the baby, pat the baby. Don't even put hit in there. Right, right. Because he has to picture that. So all any place you're you're saying don't to your child, you have to flip it around to what what do you want instead? What should he be doing? And I think of that as like that's nutrition. That's something he can digest and process. And it's like you're giving him information for how to be in the world for how to interact with his brother rather than how not to interact with his brother. Does that make sense? Yeah, completely. Yeah. And the other thing that again goes for all ages and your friend could totally start doing this now is that boys tend to um, 
need to be taught empathy rather than just having it naturally. And so this is a way to teach empathy and you just get it in a habit and you get a, so you get a little zipper bag, a little cloth, little bag. And actually I would advise you to get two of them so you can have one in your diaper bag or the car, but you have this bag and it's, it's call it whatever you want, the lovey bag, the first aid kit, whatever you want to call mm. it. And inside this bag, which is easily accessible, little one-year-old can talk, you know, go over and get it off the shelf or whatever. Um, he's, he's maybe, you know, hit the baby. Oh, run and get the, run and get the lovey bag. He goes and gets it. And he's so proud because he's going to do this errand and they come back and they unzip the bag and inside is the cream and we get the cream out and mama squeezes a little on his finger and he rubs it on the baby's sort of kind of scratch or, right. you know, it's nothing, little red mark on his skin, but it's that whole process of, oh, we have to help baby and we're going to put the cream on there and soothe the baby and all the words and all the love that's pouring out at that time. And gosh, maybe he even needs a little Band-Aid and let's put, so the, the, the big brother puts the Band-Aid on and it's been this process of disconnect, repair, to reconnect. Mm. And that's building empathy. And then big brother runs into the table and bumps his head. And now mom can, oh, I'm going to get the lovey bag for you. And oh, come sit on my lap. And oh, I'm going to put the cream on and give you some kisses. So she's modeling something mm -hmm. for him to imitate. Mm, I love that. That's a great idea. And yeah. I think it, it reminds me of how, you know, I think there's a little bit of a line there when, you know, I remember when I was really little and I would, if, if I would fall or something, my grandfather would say, Oh, look at the big dent you made in that floor, you know, Aww. and it would distract me from uh -huh. the feeling, you know, like, Oh, are you okay? Oh, don't cry. Oh, does that hurt? Because then that makes them obviously think that, Oh, maybe I should be crying. Maybe this should hurt. And so I like that idea though, of the empathy, because you're showing, especially with a younger child and a sibling, how to have that empathy. Mm -hmm. And maybe in some certain situations, they didn't hurt themselves. So if it was with the older child, you know, maybe they, they don't need the lovey bag in certain conditions, but since baby doesn't know how they're feeling yeah. and what pain is or whatever, then they might need the lovey bag in those yeah. different situations. Yeah. 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 So oh, just a it. sweet way to connect and, and care for another human being. Janet, I feel like I could talk to you for ever. I, I love, I don't know what it is. I love all this parenting stuff. Like I just eat it up. It's so There's good. another podcast that I listen to too about parenting. And I literally, I'll go on runs and just listen. And I'm like, I just find it fabulous. Like I'm fascinating all of the, you know, behavior things and emotions and the ways that we've learned at this day and age, how to deal with this stuff. I think mm -hmm. it's really it's gold. Yeah. I think it's pure gold. I love it too. And it's all, you know, it's about understanding ourselves better, understanding each other in a different way, understanding 
evolutionary biology. How did we get here in Mm -hmm. this year of 2020? It's understanding cultural influences, social, what is society telling us we have to do? How can we counteract that with our own intuition? I mean, you know, having a home birth in 1988 was, you know, (laughs) not like, yeah, top of the list for, for mamas, but being willing to trust yourself. And, you know, it all just comes back to love and care and connection. And the more we can amplify that in all of our relationships, I think the better off we're going to be in this world. How can people find you? They can find me at boysalive.com. A Facebook group, Boys Alive, asked to join. Would love to have you there. You can listen to the On Boys podcast. Find that wherever you find podcasts. And you can always reach out directly to me at Janet at boysalive.com too, because I'm a real person mm-hmm. and I answer every email. Thank goodness, right? Yeah. It doesn't happen yeah. very much this day and age. No yeah. robots here. I'll no put robots all those, here. <laughs> yeah. I'll put all those links in the show notes. So mamas, if you're listening, feel free to go check them out there for easy access. The last question I want to ask you, I'm going to adjust it a little bit. I usually ask it a little different for my moms who have younger kids, but I'm going to ask it a little different. Usually I ask what's something that you'd like to tell your child or children for now for when they're 18. But I think what I'd like to ask you is what's something that you would like to tell boys who are, or, or infants who are male now when they're younger for when they're 18? Like what's something that we should keep in our mind as mothers to ins- and women to instill in them for when they get to that age 18? Great question. Um... I think what comes to mind is that we give girls the message that you can do anything, be anything, wear anything, show up any way you want to. We give girls that message and they've received it in such a powerful way. And it is time to give boys the same message. You can do anything you want. You can dress any way you want. You can be a dancer, you can wear nail polish, you can cry, you can be fully human. Love that. This has just been such a pleasure. I'm so grateful we connected and I can't wait to go listen to your podcast too. Thank you so much, Jessica. This has been a pleasure. The Pumping Podcast is a podcast for moms and by moms. And I am your host. I'm not yet a mama. I'm a mama in training. If you're enjoying what you hear, take a minute on Apple Podcasts to subscribe, rate, and make sure you review so other mamas out there can find us and listen along while they're pumping or breastfeeding. Some fun news for you, we have a private mama network for support and community of mamas. If you'd like to join, email info at thepumpingpodcast.com. Also, if you'd like to be a guest and share your journey into motherhood, email interviews at thepumpingpodcast.com. Follow us on Instagram at thepumpingpodcast. And for any other questions or to connect, check out thepumpingpodcast.com. Thank you so much for spending some of your day with me. You light me up and inspire me. And share the podcast with a mama or future mama you know. Until next time, keep on pumping.